Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Diversity Talks, a new podcast collaboration between Bank of America and Linklater's, where we'll be discussing the latest trends in diversity and inclusion in our organizations and beyond. My name is Alice Edie Ketchell. I'm an Associate General Counsel in the EMEA Legal Team at Bank of America, and I am really excited to be able to kick off this new series. Our first topic is going to be the power of employee networks. And I'm here today with two esteemed colleagues whose commitment to improving the work lives of employees from a minority background is truly remarkable. Mm -hmm. I'm extending a very warm welcome to Victoria Coco of Linklater's Ethnicity and Race Network, otherwise known as LEARN, and Aya Ajaja from Bank of America, who is a co-chair of our Multicultural Leadership Network, otherwise known as MLN. So Victoria and Aya, welcome. And really, thank you so much for participating in our inaugural podcast. I feel like there should be some, some trumpets playing in the background there or a drum roll. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Alice. So I'm good. Oh, you're, you're very welcome. I'm going to let you introduce yourselves. And I think it would be really interesting for, for me and for our listeners to hear a bit about your, your background, your personal story, so to speak. And then perhaps also you could just uh, intro your the network that you represent and your motivation to join the network. Victoria, shall we start with you? Sure. Thanks, Alice. It's great to be a part of this um, with both you and Ayo. So uh, my name is Victoria Coco. I joined Linklaters in 2019 and I head up the banking um, business development team here in London. Um, I also chair the Linklaters Ethnicity and Race Network. So, as Alice mentioned, also known as Learn. Um, so, I guess my my motivation of why I joined, just a little bit about myself. Um, so, my own personal story is I, I grew up, I was born in London, but I, I grew up in Vienna, uh, Austria in the 80s and 90s. I'm giving my age away a bit, but that was really my background. It was a time where, you know, there weren't many people that looked like me. Um, you know, my heritage is African-Nigerian. Um, so I've always been a minority, should I say. I'm not saying that my childhood was necessarily difficult, um, but I was always different to my group of friends, um, you know, and so it was something that from an early age, I, I noticed a bit of a change in terms of the fact that, you know, there weren't many people that looked like me and I would question that and 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 just sort of see the difference in ways that people were treated, uh, you know, by, by the color of their uh, skin. Um, moving to the UK, I uh, attended um, a girls' school uh, here in the city of London, um, and once again, I was, you know, the only black girl in my year. Um, I almost became a bit of a token friend <laughs> for some of my friends who had never actually had any black friends, and, you know, it was once again another period of my life where I was once again faced with the issue of being the only uh, black girl in the year, and then once again, you do focus on the fact of, how you are treated um, differently, for example. You know, there were instances where some teachers would get the names mixed up of a few black people that were at the school, for example. So things like that stood out for me. And obviously through my working career, you know, uh, my career actually started off in banking. And once again, I was a bit of a minority. You know, things have changed now, but it was a different sort of uh, uh, situation at the time. So I always felt that you know, looking back at my life and, and how I sort of 
um, the experiences that I've had, I've always said that, you know, if I'm ever in a position to help those who look like me, then I definitely want to be able to do that. Um, and so I guess we, we, we come to this situation here uh, and uh, I think like just when we we're looking for a chair for the network, it was something that I, I really was very excited by because once again, it was that dream that I had to sort of be involved and help in terms of pushing forward the, the race agenda, so to speak, at the firm and, and sort of paving the way for those um, coming up uh, behind me um, to, to have a better experience, I guess, in life generally than I did. And obviously it's not one thing that you do on your own. It's a complete team effort. We've got a great committee working with us as well and some of our senior partner sponsors. Um, so it, it's been great. So I think just in a nutshell, it, I've always been passionate about issues that convert, uh, concern diversity and race. Um, so for me, it, it's something that I, I wanted to jump into and I'm glad that I have done, but it could, it's been very fulfilling actually to work with colleagues to uh, uh, identify initiatives that align with the firm strategy that just really sort of put race on, on the table in terms of uh, diversification, in terms of our people here. Thank you for that. It's, it's really interesting. I was, I was chuckling to myself when you were talking about uh, your, your school life in London and being one of the only or the only uh, person of color in, in the in the year group. I, I was similar, had a similar um, experience in my school, which was a, a girls' independent school in London and similar situation. Um, and my, my friendship groups were really strong, but my friends could not get over my hair. And the yes. and you yes. always talk to me about having horns <laughs> because my hair just stuck up. I couldn't get over it. Yeah, um, yeah I'm sure you had, you had similar similar uh, encounters. I, I definitely did. There was a funny one that I had once, and someone said to me, "Oh, Victoria, if you stand in the rain, will your hair just switch back into an afro?" Because my hair is straightened at the moment, so would it switch back into an afro? I didn't necessarily find it funny at the time. Obviously, I look <laughs> back and realize, you know, kids and and what they say. But it was something, obviously, that obviously in my adult life I still remember it, right? So it clearly has stuck. Uh, but yeah, there were a number of uh, uh, irresponsible comments that came out when I when I was um, in, uh, going to school. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I I really you know what resonated with me was what you're saying about you know just just being a minority throughout the different mm. stages of your life which yes. it sounds like was just you know it was it was a fact of life and that mm. was a fact of your life it's certainly a fact of my life too but it was it wasn't something that uh for me anyway i necessarily railed again it was it mm -hmm. was just a fact of life but certainly Absolutely. and what, what i really liked was what you what you've taken from that that you, you know, you have made a conscious decision that if you were ever in a position to be able to help someone who looked like you, who 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 was a minority as well, then you wanted to to seize that opportunity. I think that's, that's just a really, you know, that's really admirable trait for sure. Um, Aya, maybe we could we could hear your your background and story as well, and a little bit about MLM. Sure. Um... It was nice to hear that actually about you, Victoria. Um, regarding my own story, I um, first of all, um, I am Jaja. I'm a director within the Global Markets Capital and Funding Division, and also co-chair of the Multicultural Leadership Network, all the MLN um, at Bank of America. And um, my story 
is is actually interesting just listening to both of you talk about your experiences because I had a, a similar experience but different. Um, so I was born and raised in Nigeria and um, I, I moved to the United States when I was 17 for university. And for me, I moved from a, a society where everyone pretty much looks like me to a society where I became a minority. Um, and I, I think that, um, that change made it very glaring to me that um, the way people perceived me based on my skin color uh, and the way they interacted with me or, um, or the expectations of me um, were different from where I was coming from. And it was a, for me, it was something that was, um, it was a stark realization, just something I never thought about. I never thought about my race when I was in Nigeria because everybody's, everybody's <laughs> like me. Um, and then now I'm in a society where, um, you know, I'm in classes in, in university and, you know, certain teachers um, uh, would not really engage with me because they don't think I'm, or I felt anyway that they weren't engaged with me because they didn't think I had the aptitude off, off the bat. Or, you know, I go to talk to a teacher and they, you know, they, their initial expectations are that um, he's coming to ask for extra credit to make up some of his grades or something along those lines. So I, it, it definitely gave me a, a chip on my shoulder to, to, to want to prove myself um, to show that I, I belong. And it also made me lean um, further into my identity. I think for the first time in my life, I actually started reading up about um, the history of, 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 you know, of Nigeria, the history of, um, of, uh, of empire, the history of slavery, things that I never, you know, I, I, I went to, I did science classes growing up, just think, things that I, I would never have done um, without having that awareness, that renewed awareness, um, um, I started doing those things. Um, so, you know, I, I definitely became a lot more aware of the fact that as I progressed through university into the workforce, I started working at Bank of America in New York and then eventually moved to London. Um, very much aware that in most rooms or in most spaces that I was in, I was usually the only black person, right? And um, again, some of those interactions were shaped by the color of my skin. And I guess bringing it back to why I decided to join the MLN, um, the one thing that really um, was instrumental in how I was able to transition um, in university and in the workplace and in my career has been um, those people that came before me that were there to guide me, to help me transition, to mentor me, to sponsor me, to support me, and to uh, sort of show me the way. Um, and help me land softly uh, in this various spaces that I found myself into. So similar to what you said, Victoria, once I had um, that guidance, I always kind of felt like it was incumbent for me to make sure that to the extent that I, um, I, I keep moving um, up in my career, that I'm also um, looking back and helping out those that are coming um, behind me to make sure that they have it easier than, than I did. Uh, similar to what people before me did um, for me as well. So I've always had that, I suppose, I can't say I've always had that passion, but that passion was, um, was um, awakened in me um, following my, my move to the United States. Um, but, but, you know, I've always kind of felt that responsibility to ensure that I, I'm doing something about that and making sure that people can feel like they can bring more of their authentic self 
to work and they can feel like they belong and they can feel like, you know, the culture of the organization suits them and that they can thrive within the organization. And so those are all kind of things that have led me to this point of, you know, of joining the MLN, of seeking a leadership role within the firm and uh, within the organization rather, and um, putting forward initiatives um, to help um, people coming through the organization that look like me. And and sorry, just to hop back in there, um, Ayo, you mentioned the word belong um, a few times, and actually, for me, that's also something that's quite important, which links into the power of having these networks, that belonging, as you say, because I think that what I found, and maybe you you both have experienced this as well, is when you have dual heritage in the sense that I was born in the UK, I grew up in Austria and Vienna, back to UK African heritage. So here the question sometimes an issue is well are you really british or you know in vienna they won't you know class me as an austrian because you know i i, I wasn't born there but that was my home and that's where i learned english that's really where i developed um as a child and then even when i visit you know family for example in nigeria they don't recognize me necessarily as a nigerian they see me as british so there's a question around where do you truly belong and actually having uh, a network that creates this sense of belonging, the sense of community within the firm, I think is fundamentally important. It's one of the things that, for me anyway, has also made me feel somewhat comfortable because it's it's this uh, community that you've built and established, obviously not me, those who came up before me, you know, the, the network at Lynx has been, um, it's one of the oldest networks at the firm. So obviously a lot of hard work went to it and went into establishing this many years ago. And so it's definitely provided support for a lot of colleagues here. No, I think I think and obviously you've both touched on similar themes in in sense of your motivation. And and definitely a lot of what you have both said on that resonates with me. So belonging, Victoria, you just you've just kind of picked out from what Io was saying. I also got identity. Um, representation, and I think this ties in really nicely to to talking about the power of employee networks. So, so I was asked um, I was asked recently about my early career in my previous firm, um, and how it felt to be one of a very small number of um, of trainee lawyers from a minority background. And, and the question was asked was was well how did you how did you cope without a network you know for for black lawyers or whatever it may be was there something outside of the firm that you that you sort of you took your support from and, and I thought oh what an odd question why are they asking that and I think so there's 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 that point about no one else looks like me um, do I belong here but also Victoria picking up on on your on your comment on identity. I, I similarly have uh, more than one nationality. I am biracial, so I, I never quite fit into one particular bucket or another either. And I think when you have a, a network that is there to, to represent those who are not otherwise represented, that can really help with making you feel included and making you feel part of the organization and seen and valued. Right, that that your your views on things count because they get funneled up to the network, uh, into other areas of the organization. So I'm I'm really interested to hear um, your take on that. Maybe we could start with Io. Yes, Alice. So can you help distill the question 
for me. Oh. Yeah, so I think I think just just touching on when you are um, when you are the, the the sort of sole member of a particular demographic, or maybe there's only a few of you. You're outnumbered. You are in the minority. How how can an employee network help to make you sure. feel part of the majority and included, even if you're not visibly a part of the majority, but you are actually a valued member of the workforce? Sure. So I think. Um, I think, first of all, just understanding that there are other people that are going through similar things as you and um, being able to have conversations with them, being able to connect with them, being able to tap into, you know, their experiences, to learn from some of their mistakes, to have that support system uh, in place. I think it's invaluable. Um, and that's one of the things that I've being able to um, get from employee networks. And that's one of the things that I think it's important to have, um, or why it's important to have um, employee networks is, um, you know, many a time, um, you know, like you said, being a minority um, uh, as an organization such as Bank of America, I mean, I, I sit on the trading floor and I look around and I'm probably, um, I can count the number of black people on the floor. Um, oh, it, 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 you, sometimes subconsciously or subconsciously, you can feel like, hold on a second, do, you know, I'm not, I don't look like anybody here. Do I need to um, blend in in a particular way with the culture around me? Do I need to change myself in order to feel like I belong around here? And, you know, in the absence of having that support system, um, it's, it, I think, well, obviously, it's varies from individual to individual, but I think it's helpful to be able to kind of come together with people that have similar kind of experiences as you and have those conversations as to whether or not, um, as to how to how to deal and how to cope. So I think it's important to be able to um, to have that support system of an employee network in order to be able to have a sounding board of your experiences and understand how best to navigate an organization. And I think that's one of the key roles that an employee network um, um, uh, performs within an organization like Bank of America. I think that makes sense. And, and just to pick up on that point, I heard um, on, on a panel recently for Black History Month that a phrase, you've got to see it to be it. And, and I think that is also a part of the power of employee networks. Um, I can see other people who look like me and they are part of this organization, therefore I can be part of the organization. I remember again in my early career, um, spotting a, another black trainee in, in the firm, in the building and thinking, who's that guy in a kind of grief way? Like, who is he? Why do I not know who he is? I've never <laughs> seen him before. <laughs> and maybe if there had been an employee network at the time, uh, we would have, we would have, our paths would have crossed. But I felt like I should know you because we do look a little alike, and we definitely, we we each look different in this organization. We each look like, right. um, you know, we don't look like anyone else. Therefore, we should probably band together <laughs> um, yeah. for for support and reassurance. But you've got to see it to be it. If you don't see anyone who looks like you, and Aya, you've just said this, so apologies, I'm repeating it, but if you don't, if you look around the trading floor and you think, I really stick out here, I think that then starts to erode your confidence about your ability to do your job, and, and that, or it can do, and I think that that is another kind of um, 
a key a key positive of of having an employee network that that uh, fits your demographic. But Victoria, I'm interested in in your take on it as well. Yeah, sure. I mean, both of you have raised um, some very interesting points. I think, you know, when I graduated from university and I started my professional career, I would always initially, I remember initially I was very surprised. And once again, my career started in investment banking. I was very surprised um, that these employee networks existed. And I, I would hear questions of, but why do we even need them? And because I've been so used to just getting on with things, being a minority, and that's always been the norm, I've never let the situation affect me and my performance and that sort of stuff, even though subconsciously it probably was affecting me. But because I was so used to just operating in, in the situation, I would just get on with it. But actually being a part of the network, this was many years ago when I when I started my career, you, you see the value that it brings. And I, and I guess here at Inglacers, the vision for the Learn Network is to obviously provide you know, this support system to our colleagues uh, from various um, nationalities and, 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 and various backgrounds as well. So an opportunity for colleagues to share their experiences and I guess raise any concerns in a safe and confidential space. And we always say, you know, whatever is discussed here, we will keep. If there is anything obviously that we need to progress and take forward that we will, but we'll always respect uh, uh, what's discussed in, in the forum as well. And then another role that we, we, we look to play with is also the fact of strategically trying to influence decisions on DNI um, in the firm, just to ensure that, I guess, diverse perspectives are taken into consideration. And I guess it's also acting as a source of feedback, isn't it, you know, to our stakeholders in the firm and just working towards developing um, an inclusive culture at the firm. And I think the one thing as well that, you know, we, we pride ourselves on is also just celebrating diversity in the workplace. I think, you know, sometimes when we look at networks and the comments that I hear sometimes from people is that actually sometimes they find that these networks are divisive and actually, no, it's not. It's just recognizing that we are different, but together we can um, uh, affect change. Um, so celebrating this diversity in the workplace and participating in events, et cetera. I think it's just ensuring that any colleague that comes into those doors at Linklater for the first time, irrespective of what you look like, you will find a place. So I think, you know, the network is essentially designed to be a safe space where people feel as though, you know, you can connect with those who look like you or those who don't look like you, but we try not to create um, a hot pot for negativity. We, we always want to look at it positively. So whatever issues people have, okay, how can we address it and how can we work together with, with the firm and just ensure that, any of our initiatives that we have as a network are aligned with the strategic, you know, vision of the firm as well. Um, so yeah, so that it's it's it, it, it's a powerful thing, I think, having these networks in place. Yeah, if I could um, just tack on to that, I think it's interesting that you said at the beginning of your career. Um, I remember last year we were uh, talking to a very senior individual um, at this bank, a uh, black um, a black MD, and you know, I was asking uh, about her early career. And, you know, she told me that, you know, when she started her career, that she didn't even want to identify with any um, ethnic minority um, employee network because she felt like it, it may hold her back. And she felt like at the time, you know, the conversation around race and ethnicity wasn't that advanced. Um, people, this sort of discussions were things that people were not really comfortable talking about in the office. And so it was just something that she just, you know, she 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 knew that 
she was being treated differently, um, but it's just she she knew that she was a minority, um, I should say. <laughs> Sorry, she knew that she was a minority, and um, and but she just carried on regardless, right? Um, so, funny enough, we had we had a program uh, yesterday. Where we're talking about the mental health outcomes um, from a racial, uh, no ethnic minority angle. And how um, um, people from ethnic backgrounds are more, um, um, they, they suffer different uh, mental health outcomes compared to um, other, other groups. And one of the key things that stuck with me was that the, the speaker mentioned that, um, you know, if you're a person that um, is being treated differently um, in your day to day job based on uh, um, whatever, uh, based on your, your ethnicity or your gender or your sexuality, um, um, no matter how resilient you are, that still takes a toll on you in the long term. And I think that's something that, um, you know, people that have come before us um, have to contend with. Uh, and uh, and I think it's so important, and again, not bringing this back to the employee network, because I think it's so important to have employee networks now, because um, now it's okay for us to have these conversations, to talk about, you know, um, these sort of issues, to kind of explore um, why, um, um, you know, um, how we're being treated and whether we're being treated fairly, whether we're being represented correctly across the organization, whether we're allowed to bring our fullest and wholesome selves to work. Um, and again, you know, having that support system is so, so critical, um, not just in how you progress your career, but in also your mental health. So I think uh, employee networks serve such a, a, a fundamentally important role within the organizations and, and shaping the culture of the organizations and shaping the experience of the people that work within the organizations. Um, and I think, um, you know, yeah, again, I think it's so important that the, the work that employee networks do. I, I, th I think you've both touched on really important points in terms of what can be perceived as the negative side of employee networks. Um, so, Victoria, you, you talked about um, you know, can they be decisive? Um, that there's, you know, there's a train of thought that they are, they could be um, promoting uh, exclusion as opposed to inclusion, because you are you are naturally segregating people by certain characteristics. Now, Victoria, you've spoken about why you you don't agree with that. I mean, I see that as I guess one of the challenges of the networks going forward, uh, and I, and I understand both points of view. I mean, for example, for, for my own career, um, I don't want to be seen as a black female lawyer. I want to be seen as a lawyer and a damn good one at that. Um, but I, I think I think there's you know there, there mm -hmm. is a school of thought to say should we be should we be segregating people um, uh, through these networks? I don't actually subscribe to that at all. And I think I think for all the all the reasons you've mentioned about support, about about representation, um, and actually the most important one now, and I think which has been on the on the agenda certainly for the last year since since the death of George Floyd and others, um, about driving change, and, and that's what I would say is at the moment I would have thought is one of the priorities of the network groups going forward, well, now and going forward, I'm interested in your take on that. But And by driving change, I mean, for us anyway, organizational change. 
when you've got when you've got these organizations, the, the networks uh, that have huge memberships. I mean, MLN is is in the thousands or over a thousand um, across different regions. I'm sure in Linklater's it's comparatively large as well. Um, you know, you, you've got you've got a real power there. You've got a force. You've got a momentum. You've got the ability to hold senior leadership accountable because of the size of your membership. I mean, I maybe maybe you could um, carry that thought forward. Yeah, look, look, absolutely. I, I think um, I think there's power in numbers, right? And um, and as you rightly mentioned, last year there was quite a lot of talk, um, courageous conversations, um, initiatives pulled forward on the back of um, the various incidents that happened, starting with George Floyd. Um, and for us, the focus has always been how do we continue to apply pressure and demand accountability to see change. The way we do that is, um, I think it's important to to measure what you treasure. Um, so um, you know, it's important to understand what the goal is that you're trying to reach, to have a good idea of where you're coming from, and then to put milestones in place to ensure that you're reaching those targets. Um, so, you know, in working with our DNI partners and our HR partners, we're always keen to understand for all the initiatives that we said we're going to roll out, um, how do we measure progress? What does good look like? How do we feel, how do we know when we're not doing enough and when we need to do more? Um, and how do we keep ourselves honest that we are actually progressing at the rate that we said we would progress? Um, so you know there is a lot of there is a lot of um, of work that comes with that. There's a lot of work that comes with um, ensuring that um, that the that the various initiatives that we roll out are, are having the effects that we expect them to have. Uh, a lot of that is is underpinned by ensuring that you have access to the right amount of data to to to, to prove that the various initiatives are having the, the desired impact. But, but more so than that is to ensure that we're using our power of advocacy. As you said, we, we in MLN has 1,400 members, uh, members now across EMEA, and, you know, they have a voice. And, you know, they want to ensure that, and, and they've spoken through the various, you know, um, talks we had last year, through the various initiatives, the various surveys we've sent out. They said to us that these issues are important to us, and we want to, you know, we, we, we do want to make a meaningful change um, uh, in 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 what our representation looks like at all levels of the firm, you know. So how do we ensure that we're staying true to um, to the promises um, that we've made to um, to those people via the initiatives that are that are rolling out? Um, so we, with with Emily, what we try to do is we try to be as visible as we can. You know, we we, we are very open with what initiatives are being rolled out by MLN. We're very open with what initiatives DNI are supporting. Uh, we are open with the progress we've made on some of the initiatives, good and bad. Um, we invite people to challenge us, to ask questions. Um, we have regular catch-ups with our members to tell them how, we, how we're doing. We catch up with uh, DNI and senior executives as well. And we just try to continue to push forward and, 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 uh, and maintain the momentum, right, uh, and ensure that um, that we are, um, like I said before, we are continuing to apply apply that pressure and to demand accountability. Um, it's important to note that, you know, with an organization as big as Bank of America, um, 
it takes time for things to change. So um, we also ensure that we are celebrating our uh, whatever small victories that we have um, along the way. And we're, again, we're being very visible about those small victories and how they contribute to the big picture. So I think those are some of the things that we're doing to ensure that um, that, that we're continuing to push ahead and we're continuing to drive accountability across um, across all levels within within the, within within the organization around race and ethnicity. And I think I actually, you know, there's some similarities here at Links as well. I, and the way I see it is, you know, it's accountability and transparency that's right at the top of the agenda. So it's not just talking the talk entity. We want to see uh, uh, deliverables. We want to see us hit those targets that um, we have set. So, for example, so the firm launched the race action plan um, 12 months ago now, I think, which and it's it's one year on what has changed. And, and actually, there has been progress that is made. It's definitely not... Um, you know, we're not where we want to be, but it's definitely better than where we were before. So, for example, you know, we also launched um, global anti-racism training across the firm. So it was basically a representative body for the black community to ensure that current issues and perspectives are taken into account. Um, you know, there's various initiatives. I, I, you know, there was even the uh, black sponsorship program again, and it's not just always tailored to the black community, but we know that following that really became the conversation. You know, I think a lot of firms had to take a step back and actually look at their workforce and, and, and look at numbers essentially and face the facts. You know, where are we today and what is it that we'd like to achieve and how are we going to get there? So it, it's not an overnight change. I think, you know, the benefits of the network as well is, is working with, like you say, DNI teams and HR as well. You know, the HR director and also DNI teams, you know, sat with some of us. Uh, from the network and the committee just to get some feedback from the initial sort of slides that they prepared and, you know, the, the key issues that they wanted to address. So I think any um, initiative um, that affects a certain demographic needs to ensure that it's incorporating the views of those that are being affected. Um, and I think once that's done, then at least you're on the right track. But then the next stage is actually how do you ensure that you're constantly feeding back on progress and you're not just talking about the things now because it's trendy and because everybody else is talking about it but when people stop talking about it how do we ensure that actually we're still pressing on and we're still chasing that that end goal which is to create a more diverse workforce at the firm i think that is a great note to wrap up on victoria thank you so what i've heard there is when the conversation stops the employee network will keep on going. And I think that's that's the sort of key message out of all of this. Um, I want to say thank you to Io and Victoria for, for joining us today in our inaugural podcast. I hope I hope that the conversation was was interesting and engaging. Um, and that for those of you who aren't involved in your uh, employee networks in your organization, that this might inspire you to get involved. Uh, after all, the networks are they're not static, so they support, represent, educate, and drive change. But they can only do that if they have, um, if they have a, a, a representative membership. So thank you, Victoria and Io. I feel like we could have a part two in the offing on this conversation, <laughs> <laughs> and I hope, I hope to uh, have a chance to chat to you both again soon. Brilliant. Thank you thank for you. having me. Thanks for having us. Thank you.